We are going to look at chapter 31. We can silence our phones, please. Hey, did Sam make an announcement about... uh, Yeah, okay. Okay. Tonight we're going to look at Genesis 31, verses 1 through 21. Genesis 31, 1 to 21. And uh, we're continuing looking at Jacob. And tonight we're going to see his... uh, Jacob hightailing it out of um, Laban's camp. Jacob had left his home after conning a blessing from his father. He had manipulated his father by dressing up like his brother, talking and acting like his brother. He got the blessing from his father and as a result stole the blessing from Esau, his brother. Esau was angry because Jacob ripped him off and vowed to kill Jacob. So Jacob ran away from the anger of his brother Esau at the urging of his mom to Padan Aram. And on the way in the desert, he has an encounter with God at Luz. He has an encounter through a dream, a vision of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And Jacob realized that it was God speaking to him. Jacob was blown away. He did not expect to have a counter with God in the desert out there. He knew he had been conniving. He knew he had sinned. And he probably thought God would never encounter him or reveal himself to him. And in that encounter with God, we saw the sovereignty of God and how it overrides the obstacles of a man to accomplish his purposes. Even though God will not override the consequences of walking in the flesh or our sins. And we saw through that encounter with God that even in our loneliest desert experiences, God is there to deal with us. Sometimes that is what it takes for us to turn to God. I'm amazed when I see the story here of of Jacob and his blunders and yet God showing himself. And then I think about me and I think about ourselves and how at the end of the day we look and God is there still, you know, and he shows himself and his grace and his mercy. He is a great God of grace. So Jacob went to Padam Aram and meets Uncle Laban, who was a very good con artist himself. And Jacob falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Jacob is tricked by Laban, who puts his other daughter, Leah, in her place. And as a result, Jacob marries both Leah and Rachel. So Jacob worked for 14 years for Laban. For his daughters and then another six years. And he has been waiting and taking care of Laban's flocks for about 20 years. You you think about that. There had to be tension in their relationship. There had to be. So Jacob gets to the point where he says to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. 
in chapter 30, verse 25. And Laban responds by telling Jacob that he does not want him to leave. Laban had come to realize that God blessed him because of Jacob. So Laban tells Jacob, name your price. Name your wages and I will give it to you. And Jacob says to Laban, let's go through the flocks and separate all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats and these shall be my wages. These will be mine. Laban agrees and they separate for about three days journey. Jacob goes off with his flock and comes up with this interesting way to reproduce them. He takes these with the poplar chestnut almond trees and he peels back the bark, sets these with rod, like rods in the, in, in the gutters and, and the watering uh, trolls where the flocks came to drink and so that they could conceive when they came to drink. Verse 38 tells us that in the last chapter, uh, chapter 30. But the thing is, it was God who controlled the genetic structure of the animals and multiplied the spotted and striped sheep and goats. It wasn't Jacob's superstitious methods. And at the end of chapter 30, it says that Jacob became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Jacob had been away from home for about 20 years. And it was time that he returned. Now we come to chapter 31. And tonight we're going to look at the account of Jacob's, like I said, hightailing it out of there, separating from Laban. And we're going to look at the motivation for the separation in verses 1 to 3. The confirmation for the separation in verses 4 to 16 and the departure in the separation, verses 17 to 21. The motivation, the confirmation, and the departure. There were various things that could have motivated Jacob to separate from Laban a lot earlier. But they did not. Finally, some situations did happen that prompted Jacob to leave. Look at verse 1. We have the conversation of Laban's sons. It says in verse 1, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. So Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons. The word heard there in verse 1, it's the Hebrew word shama, meaning to hear, to hearken, or to listen. It means to hear something with one's ears, or it can be used of, of eavesdropping, or intentionally listening in on a conversation, like when Sarah overheard what the, uh, the three men said to Abram in Genesis 18. And the thing is, Laban's sons voice their accusation in a way 
that they did not speak directly to Jacob. It says he heard the words of Laban's sons. There are people like that everywhere. They don't speak directly to the person that they are attacking, but they speak to others or, or even in an earshot, at a distance, so that the person they are attacking will hear the criticism or the off-the-wall words. It's kind of a spineless way to state one's unfriendliness or antagonism. And it's, it's meant to heal, not to edify. And this indirect method of criticizing, it, it, it exposes a jealous heart, an envious heart, and sometimes evil in a person. Also, Laban's sons, they actually express a twisted perspective to each other. They said, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has acquired all this wealth. Jacob did not take away all that was their father's. He prospered on his own. It's kind of twisted the way they're, they're, they're approaching it. And, and Jacob brought, he actually brought a lot of prosperity to Laban. So by saying Jacob has taken all that was our father's, that's a big exaggeration. It was true that during the six years that Jacob, Jacob's work was paid in livestock, that Jacob's flocks prospered and reproduced much better than Laban's. But Jacob did had not taken all of Laban's flocks. And that's when envious, jealous people accuse, they tend to overdo the accusations and exaggerate. They do that far beyond the facts. The bottom line is that they were jealous of the wealth that Jacob had acquired and they wanted it for themselves. In verse 2, we see the continents of Laban. It says, And Jacob saw the continents of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. So Jacob first heard Laban's sons, and now he sees a change in Laban's continents. And both of these told Jacob that there was trouble brewing for him in the camp of Laban. Circumstances had changed. The word continents, here in verse 2, it means that Jacob saw the face of Laban and it was not toward him as before. There was a change in Laban's face. It was no longer friendly toward Jacob. Jacob was not looked at by Laban as before with favor, but instead with disfavor. Jacob's prosperity caused Laban to view him as a liability instead of an asset. And it made me think of how it's sometimes God will prepare us for a move. Sometimes he prepares us for a change. Sometimes he will allow a disrupting of our routine or our, our pattern in life a disrupting of our comfort zone to take place. 
and God begins to stir things up as a way to prepare us to move on or to make a change. He'll use situations. And sometimes God's hand is in it without us knowing it. Sometimes God has a different direction, a better situation for us without knowing it. This happened to me. I went through a situation like this, which resulted in how I came on staff here at Calvary Chapel. When I was working at my previous job, things started getting weird. There was a change of continence in my ex-manager and actually my assistant, who was my assistant, they, they turned against me. They were bypassing me and avoiding me and just things got really bizarre. You could say their continence had changed. They were looking at me with disfavor and and it hurt when that happened. I had been at that place of employment for over 18 years. And the Lord started prompting my heart at that point through these weird circumstances that it was time to move on. My two sons were getting older. They were right about their teen years. And my involvement in ministry was being disrupted because where I worked, there was a lot of weekend work and I was, you know, it worked for a while, but I was not around on here involved in ministry like I wanted to. And, and I remember Mario asking me to step down from a ministry that I was involved in because I wasn't able to fulfill it all the time. And that hurt. Because I wanted to be here. And then, you know, my family were here at church, but I'd have to go to work. So I talked to my wife about it, and we prayed for about a year. Again, I had, it was a great job at that point. You know, it was it was good money and great benefits and all that stuff. And, and, the weird thing is I started meeting up with this guy where I go cut, where I went to cut my hair who comes to this church who used to come to this church. And we saw each other. Hey, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I went there a second time, you know, six weeks later or whatever, ran into him again. Ah, we laughed. Then I went there a third time and ran into the guy again. And at that point he came over to me and he goes, you know, I got to be honest with you. I actually thought I was going to, I came on a, another day that you usually don't come to, so I could avoid you. But you happened to come on that day too. And we laughed and I go, oh, that's funny. So we started talking and he knew where I worked and all that. And uh, I started telling him that I've been praying about leaving my position there. And this guy blew his mind because he never, they never, he thought I would never leave where I was at. And he happened to be looking for an office manager. So he he asked me, he said, hey, I would love to hire you. Would you like to take the position in his, in his uh, firm? So I did. But two years later, it wasn't working out with him. And I told him that. I said, look, bro, if, you know, if, it's, if I'm not the fit, if it's not working out, tell me. And I'll move on. You know? And I really didn't mean that. <laughs> But he called me on it and he called me in. He goes, you know what? I was thinking about what you said and we should split. You should leave. You know, you're, you're fired. 
I said, oh, okay. I said, well, you know, let me, we lived, the firm was close by my house. So I said, I'm going to go home for a little bit and tell Gloria and let her know, you know. And he goes, all right, go down there. So I went home, told my wife, who freaked out, you better go to the church and go get prayer. And I said, okay, I will. So I called Mario and I said, hey, can I come over? I need to talk to you. He goes, yeah, yeah, come on down. So I come over to the church, sit down. And Mario goes, what's up? And I told him, so-and-so let me go. And this big old smile came on Mario's face. And he goes, don't leave. And he went and got Xavier, came back, and he goes, we've been praying for this moment. They had been praying for about a year or so, I think. But Xavier, Pastor X, knew the other gentleman, and he came to our church, and he didn't said, I don't want to blow my witness with him. If the Lord's in it, it'll happen. And that's how I came on staff. So they offered me the position. And this big, huge negative turned in. And I, I pulled off on Sierra Madre. I go, hey, call my wife. She goes, what did they say? Did they pray with you? I said, yeah, I actually got a job. <laughs> and we just, I mean, I was stunned. I never, that wasn't my desire. You know, we wanted, we served ever since we got saved. And that's what we desired to do is just serve the Lord. I wasn't like trying to be on staff or anything. And I never thought that. And I'm glad they never told me they were praying for me for that. And, and that's how God did it, you guys. And sometimes it takes situations to happen for God to make a change. To get us off that comfort zone. And to really seek the Lord. Or I, I'd probably still be at that place. So the change in attitude in Laban and his sons contributed to bringing about a change of plans for Jacob. These negative circumstances were confirming to Jacob that it was time to get out of there. And not only did the circumstances seem to change, but God revealed to Jacob that it was time to return back to his homeland. We see the command of God uh, to leave in verse 3. It says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. It was the Lord who said this to Jacob. This helped, him, this helped to confirm that for, to Jacob that it was time to leave. It was the command of God to do so. The place he was to return, notice there in verse 3, was to the land of his fathers, which was Canaan. And was the land promised by God to Jacob? It, it was the land and, uh, and, and family represented by Abraham and Isaac. Jacob's destiny was not in the household of Laban. Notice at the end of verse 3, God gives a promise with his command. He says, return, but then at the end of the verse, he says, and I will be with you. In chapter 28, verse 15, God had told Jacob, Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. And now some 20 years later, God assures Jacob with the promise, I will be with you. But when Jacob came to Haran here, he wasn't alone. I mean, he was alone. Now returning back, it would be a whole different situation. It's going to be more difficult because Jacob would now be traveling with, you know, back those 400 or so miles with his family and flocks. 
And traveling with family and thoughts could develop a lot of fear in Jacob's mind about this trip. But when God commanded Jacob to go back to his homeland, he knew and he took all that into consideration. God knew what would be on Jacob's mind, so he assures him with the promise of his presence. And how awesome it had to be to know that God would be with him. And how reassuring it is to know that God is with us. Made me think of my sons when they were little. When they, we would go to places like the Pomona Fair or Raging Waters or something like that. And they knew I was with them, their father. They weren't afraid. But if they would have been at those places alone, they would have been afraid and probably refused to go alone. And so it is with the presence of our Heavenly Father. There is nothing like going through life knowing that we are not alone in our journey, that He is with us. When Jesus, when Jesus gave His disciples the Great Commission in Matthew 28, He encouraged them to obey with the promise. He said, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. If Jesus is with us, guys, then we can go anywhere. But wanting that reassurance and wanting his presence with us, that is to be a motivation and encouragement for us to obey him. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty one, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will, be, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jacob's troubles with Laban and Laban's son, Laban's son encouraged him to obey God's command to head for Canaan. In verses 4 to 16, we have the confirmation for the separation. Notice what Jacob does in verse 4. It says, So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field, to his flock. Jacob knew he had to tell his wives about the move. Because after all, they were Laban's daughters. They were an integral part of the family and would be greatly affected by the move. He'd be, he'd be asking them to leave their home, their people, and go to another land. He had to talk it over with them. Jacob's wives needed to be informed about why Jacob felt the separation with Laban was necessary. And a husband needs to communicate his purposes and intentions to his wife. That's part of what having good communication is about. I have counseled with many couples where the wife is so mad at her husband Because her husband does things without considering her. Not letting the wife know. We have to be one with our wife, which with our wives, which includes good communication. Notice Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field. Probably didn't want Laban to see him in a serious conference with uh, Rachel and Leah. Laban might have suspected something was up. So Jacob had them come out into the field where they can find a place to speak freely. 
without fear of the wrong of the wrong people eavesdropping on them. And while seeking privacy can sometimes indicate that there is an attempt to cover up something, there is, though, on the other hand, a legitimate need to talk in private at times. Sometimes parents need to talk about things in private without the children hearing certain things. The military needs to use secrecy a lot for vital communication, uh, information. And Jacob was wise to use secrecy here in talking with his wives about the separation from Laban. It was a legitimate need. Jacob had to talk to Rachel and Leah about what was going on with Laban and what God had spoken to him. In verses 5 to 13, Jacob tells them the specifics about Laban, about himself and about God. Look at verse 5. And he said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father's, of my father has been with me. Jacob saw the change, like I said earlier, in Laban's countenance. But he had to let Rachel and Leah know that their father was not acting friendly toward him any longer. He probably wanted to let them know that if he stayed any longer, something bad was bound to happen. Notice what he tells them at the end uh, in verse 6. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father. Jacob was reminding Rachel and Leah of his diligence. And notice that he tells, he says to them, you know. In other words, they knew that Jacob was a hard worker. The word might there, and you know that, that with all my might, means power, vigor, ability. It indicates strenuous work. Jacob used the same language when he bargained with Laban in chapter 30. He says, you know, he used it there, how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. Jacob was not a a slothful welfare bum. He didn't live off his father-in-law. He was a hard worker. And as a result, he was a prophet to Laban because of that. People really do know and see our work habits. If we're lazy and do a halfway job at our work, people will know. It'll get around. And on the flip side, it gets around if we're good workers. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7 says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. And as God's ambassadors, we are to represent him as the best workers. Can we confidently say, you know that I am, that I work with all my might. In verse 7, Jacob lets them know how Laban had cheated him in regards to his wages. He says, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. 
But God did not allow him to hurt me. Laban had changed Jacob's wages ten times. Laban was a terrible employer. (laughs) He He randomly kept changing his wages. He didn't keep his word about the wage agreement he had with Jacob. The original agreement between Laban and and Jacob had been for Jacob to get the brown sheep and the spotted sheep and the speckled of Laban's livestock and Laban would get the rest of the livestock. But when Jacob began to accumulate a a great amount of, of his kind of livestock, Laban randomly changed the contract to limit Jacob to one specific kind of livestock. And when that kind multiplied... Laban would change the contract again. But he could not change the fact that God was blessing Jacob. Laban's actions are stated in verse 8. Notice what it says. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages. And then the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaked shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore streaked. It was God. And this helped Jacob to see that, that it was God that was prospering him, that was blessing him. He testifies to this in verse 9. He says, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. We saw in verse 5, the God of my father has been with me. Verse 7, but God did not allow him to hurt me. And now in verse 10, he tells Rachel and Leah of the privilege he had from God when God spoke to him in a dream. Look at verse 10 through 12. It says, And it happened at, that, at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray-spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. There's a few things going on here. Since verse 5, Jacob has been telling his wives a lot about God. The God of my father has been with me. He spoke of God's protection in verse 7, but God did not allow him to hurt me. In verse 9, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In verse 11, he told them of the privilege of hearing from God in a dream. The angel of God spoke to me in a dream. And in verse 13, he spoke to them of the instruction from God, commanding him to get out of the land and return to the land of his family. Jacob gave his wives some good stuff. Spiritual instruction regarding God here. A husband is to do that. He is to give his wife good spiritual instruction regarding God. A husband is to be the spiritual leader of the family. And it is important that a husband hears from the Lord. It's important that we're in the word, that we're able to share those things with our wife. They get their security from that. When they see a husband who is in tune with God, it's a security thing for them. They're there for you when that's going on. 
And a man cannot be a spiritual leader of the family if he's not hearing God's voice. If he's not being led by God's truth. And I believe we have just as much, if not more, privilege and advantage in learning and hearing from God today as Jacob did. Yet there's a lot of men who are not growing in the knowledge of God. We need to do that. We need to make sure in the midst of all the madness and everything going on in our world and the things that try and blind us that we are growing in the knowledge of God. Second Peter 1 tells a lot about growing in the knowledge of God. In Second Peter, uh, Peter 1 verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and, our, and of Jesus our Lord. In verse 3 of that chapter, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Verse 5 of Second Peter 1, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. In the beginning of that chapter, he gives us all the promises we have in God. And he says, but you, but now... And we are to add these things. And Peter even ends uh, that, that book in, in chapter 3, uh, 18 by saying, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So knowledge, you guys, is more than just having information. It includes being in that extreme, close, personal relationship with our Lord having intimate communion and conviction from him, experiencing his power and his leading in our lives. Our Lord wants us to know him in that way. There's nothing like that. It's so awesome to wake up and before your feet touch the ground, you're already praying, just inviting God to take over your day. Instead of getting up and checking emails right away and looking at the phone. I hate when I do that. You know, and I go ahead of the Lord in that way. But when you're lying there and you say, okay, Lord, good morning. Here I am. Take hold of me. Man, things go better. doesn't want us to just know him as a casual acquaintance. But to have a true personal knowledge of him. In verse 11, Jacob told Rachel and Leah that the angel of God spoke to him in a dream. There are many commentators that believe that this was Jesus Christ who spoke to him. That was a Christophany. At the end of verse 12, we have the concern of God towards Jacob. God says to him, For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. It indicates that God cares. The statement from God must have been encouraging to Jacob, who had been mistreated. He had cheated, Laban had cheated Jacob continuously, but God saw it. And God was in essence letting Jacob know that all the increase of the flocks that I have blessed you with was done because of the injustice done to you. And God sees all the evil that is done to his people. He sees what is being done currently to Christians in our nation and other parts of the world. He sees. And sometimes we might get discouraged. And sometimes we, we, we're, we're, 
we brought, you know, it, it's discouraging at the mistreatment of others. But God sees it. And in due time, there will be a day of reckoning for the injustices done to his people. And knowing that God does care for us, again, should encourage us to be obedient to him. These are things that should encourage us to obey him, to be right with him. Notice what God told Jacob in verse 13. He said, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. This command given to Jacob by God here in verse 13 made it clear who was giving the command. It says, I am the God of Bethel. By saying he was the God of Bethel, God was reminding Jacob that he was his parents' God. He was the God who gave uh, Jacob promises. And he was the God that Jacob made his vow to. In Genesis 28.13, the God of Bethel identified him, himself as the God, the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Jacob knew this God. He was God Almighty, the God of gods. He had been taught by, about God and knew him to be the only God, the true God. At Bethel, God promised Jacob protection. He promised him provisions, prosperity, and a safe return. At Bethel, Jacob had shown his dedication to God. He set up a pillar. And he pulled, poured oil on it, on top of it, and made a vow to God. This spoke of Jacob's witness for God and worship of God. The God of Bethel was not just his parents' God, but it was also his God too. At Bethel, Jacob had committed himself to God, even as we have to commit ourselves to God for this, to the salvation that we once vowed to. Our faith needs to be personal and wholly committed to God. Jacob spoke well to Rachel and Leah. He, his speech to them was not aimless. He wasn't just lecturing them. But what he said to Rachel and Leah was well organized and led logically to the conclusion of God's command to leave, to return to Canaan. The first part of his speech here that we looked at, it helped prep the wives to be receptive to the last part of his speech, which was about the command to leave. And the response from Rachel and Leah was positive. Look at verses 14 to 16. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there still any portion of inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. These daughters probably had not voiced any of this before. Criticizing a parent in that day by the children did not, it wasn't done in those days. But now that Jacob, their husband, had brought up the issue, 
they reveal what they had been thinking all these years. And you get the feeling that these daughters did not have good feelings towards their father. They really didn't have a good experience with Laban. Now as a sad commentary on Laban, that his two grown daughters would speak about him as they did. Sad. If you think about it. He mistreated them from the very beginning when he switched wives on Jacob in giving Jacob Leah instead of Rachel. Not only was that a mean trick to Jacob, but it was also a mean trick to his daughters. It deceived Rachel and didn't make Leah look any good, on top of not looking good anyway. <laughs> I can say that with guys in here. And what the sisters say to Jacob about their father reveals more mistreatment from them. In verse 14 they ask, Is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? The, answer, the unstated answer is no. Rachel and Leah were cut out of the inheritance. Laban was probably so greedy and envious of Jacob's prosperity that he took it out on his daughters by excluding them from the inheritance so Jacob would not get any of Laban's wealth. And he was just greedy, period. He just squandered it. And greed can make men mean even to their own flesh and blood. When I was doing this today, I was I just looked up some crimes of inheritance, you know, inheritance crimes, and there's some crazy stuff that goes on out there through greed and you know there was this one mom who this lady who just she wasn't gonna give her kids anything. She was just greedy and didn't want it for them to have any and she starts tearing up all the money and all the bank books, and, and turns out that they were able to replace it because it was still there, and she lost out when she died, but she didn't want them to have it. You know, stuff like that. You hear of crimes all the time going on with inheritance rights. It's crazy. Notice what they say in verse 15. Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. Laban was indifferent toward his daughters. He didn't treat them with love and affection. The word strangers there, are we not considered strangers? The word strangers, it can be translated, are we not considered as foreigners? Or he treats us as if we're outsiders, not members of his family. Laban was too busy making money to give them affection. His heart was on earthly gain more than on his daughters. Greed had stripped him of this, of affection for his daughters. It's sad to say there are greedy and selfish parents like Laban who deny their children of affection. They deny them of relationship so they can make more money or just so that they don't have to deal with them. It's sad when a, a parent has to wants to drop off their children at the daycare center so they can go off to work instead of wanting to be with their children. It's one thing when you have to do that, but it's another thing when you want to do that. 
And I remember seeing uh, within back in end of August, September, you see the media projecting this attitude with the back-to-school TV commercials where parents can't wait for the children to get back to school. I mean, it's pretty blatant when you see some of these commercials. I've worked with people with this mindset. They hate summer because the kids are around and they want them back in school. Sad. And when our lives get out of balance to the point of losing our affection for our family, it shows that our character is in need of some serious help. And also, be careful that the workplace does not become your place of refuge instead of your home and your family. I see that happen a lot with men. They love the control that they have at work. I'm in control here. I have the seat. You know, I can deal with people, but it's harder to be at home with with your family. That's wrong. There should be a right balance there. This greedy way Laban had treated his daughters definitely made them ready to leave. Look at verse 16. For all these riches which God has taken from our fathers are really ours and our fathers and our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Rachel and Leah saw that God blessed Jacob. And in a sense, this was kind of poetic justice in God's actions in prospering Jacob because... In essence, God took from Laban what belonged to the daughters and gave it to Jacob. Which meant it would end up benefiting Rachel and Leah anyway. It's kind of roundabout. It's kind of interesting. And as a result, the wives had no reason to stay in Laban's camp. Laban had left them out to dry. But with Jacob, they had been blessed because Jacob, God had blessed Jacob. So at the end of verse 16, Jacob gets encouragement from them. And they say, whatever God has said to you, do it. What a great encouragement that must have been for Jacob to hear this. What a great attitude. Again, it's encouraging. It is for a husband when a wife encourages us to obey God's command. But we must remember that we are to obey God whether our wives cooperate with us and encourage us to obey or not. God's word is the authority for us to obey. It's vital that we're sensitive to God's leading his direction so that we can lead our home. So there was unity in the family about obeying God's command to leave. And Jacob doesn't waste any time. Look at verse 17. Then Jacob rose and set his sons and his wives on camels. Here we see the contrast of Jacob's care for his family, not like Laban. His sons and his wives, that's a long journey for them to walk. So he puts them on the camels to ride, which showed great affection for his family. When God gives us a wife and children, it's a great calling to care for them. Look at verse 18. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padam Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Notice, Jacob only took what was his. It says there in verse 18, all his livestock, all his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock. 
Jacob didn't steal. He didn't steal Laban's livestock. He only took what was his. The stealing was done by Rachel, which we'll see in a moment. <laughs> when you check out of a hotel, don't take the blankets and the towels that are not yours. I once knew someone who worked at a hospital and all his towels at home said County USC on them. That's not good. He wore all those green scrub outfits. He had a whole set of those. Not good, you guys. When you move from a rented house or an apartment, you're not to... You're to leave what's not yours, okay? Don't take the the air conditioning unit, okay? We're to show integrity. Look at what goes on in verse 19. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. While Laban's out shearing the sheep, which was kind of a big event, there was a, you know several days, there was celebration and all that for the harvest and getting all the sheep and all that. Rachel makes her own arrangements for the trip. She stole the household gods, the household idols, and she probably had a good example in her dad on how to do this. Maybe even her husband at one point. Um, but but realize that the influence you have on on your family. They will imitate what we do. And I hope we can use our influence our influence to promote God's ways instead of deceit. And Rachel probably felt justified in doing this. Based on the comments that she made in verses 14 to 16 that we looked at. But it still didn't make it right. And these household idols that Rachel took were known as teraphim. Uh, they were believed to give the one who ha who had them in their possession, uh, inheritance privileges in the family. Those who had possession of the household gods could claim legal title to a given estate. Some believe that these household gods or idols were used for fertility and protection. So uh, this teraphim was, it's kind of like they were the St. Christopher to Rachel. It was kind of like the saints of, you know, that those of us who were Catholic used to carry for protection. I had my own little St. Christopher. My mom had one on the dashboard of the car for protection. This little saint that faced us, you know. And then we used to drive with it for protection and I always used to wonder, you know, well, shouldn't we turn it around and so it could, it could see out the front there? <laughs> you know, yeah, it was always facing us. It was weird. These idols Laban had were pagan, though. They were superstitious. Laban didn't know the Lord. Also, Rachel stealing these idols, these gods, actually revealed the foolishness of, of idol worship. If you think about it, how ridiculous it is to steal or to worship something that can be stolen. What kind of God is it who cannot control his location? 
but can be ripped off by a human being. It's ridiculous. It shows that. In verse 20, Jacob bolts out of there. It says, And Jacob stole away unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. Jacob did not request Laban's permission to leave like he did before. He did not notify Laban that he was leaving. He probably had good reason for this. Because uh, next week, next week in, uh, you're going to see in verse 31 that uh, Jacob tells Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, perhaps you would take your daughters away from me by force. So this fear probably was not unjustified. Le Jacob knew that Laban would not hesitate to do something uh, underhanded like that. In fact, when Laban was chasing down Jacob, as you'll see next week, he had to be warned by God. You'll see that in verse 24, to chill out. With Laban's character being what it was, if he could have, he would have stripped Jacob of everything. And then sent him away like when he first got there. Jacob knew this. So verse 21 says, So we fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. God's will for Jacob was clear in verse 3. Return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. They say it's about a 300 mile journey from Haran to the mountains of Gilead. Jacob now at this point is about 97 years old. The words headed toward means to set his face. Jacob set his face toward the mountains of Gilead. To set his face speaks of the spirit of determination and de dedication in obeying God's commands. There was no turning back now. He set his face toward the goal that God gave him. And even as Jacob had his shortcomings, you see God's mercy and grace in his life. Incredible. God is so gracious to us even in our shortcomings. Doesn't mean that we can abuse his grace. But man, he is a gracious God. And I pray that as we continue in our journey in life, as we continue and, and we encounter all the different circumstances of life, that we would put our trust in God's promises. I pray that we would hear the voice of the Lord as he speaks to us through his word and also through the inner witness in our heart. Sometimes he, he prompts us. Sometimes he, he, he prompts our hearts. And then we confirm it in his word. We seek him in prayer and he speaks to us. I pray that we would have great sensitivity to his leading. We would have faith in his leading and make, and we would, make a, uh, we would seek him for discernment and decisions that we have to make. And above all, that we would press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Philippians 3.14 Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the stories, the, the examples you give us, Lord, for our learning. 
Uh, Your word says that. They are there for our instruction, Lord. And I pray that now you would continue to speak to us, Lord, as we ponder, as we these scriptures and, and, and principles and thoughts come to our mind in days to come, Lord, and that we would most of all hear from you, Lord, and, and be impressed by your ways and your leading, Father. And, Lord, uh, you would guard and guide us, Lord. We need you, Lord. Go before all my brothers here tonight, Lord. You know where each of us stand. You know our shortcomings. You know our victories. You know our longings. You know our desires. Father, sort them out according to your perfect will and give us the faith we need in these times that we live in, Lord. Just pray for protection, Lord. In our nation, Lord, we pray for protection on Pasadena, our home life, Lord, our families. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming soon. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Hallelujah. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.